0: Good morning church. It is so good to be with you all this morning. Um, We are continuing our series over the book of Galatians. And this has been an especially exciting series. Now if you remember some of the history, we really have been teaching and we, we really believe that the letter to the Galatian churches was Paul's first epistle, the first letter he wrote to encourage churches. Let me give you a real quick uh, background before we get into this text. The Apostle Paul is speaking directly against a force that has come up against some churches he planted on his first missionary journey. This force was called the Judaizers, and it was a group of people who were teaching the new Christians in Galatia that they needed to convert to Judaism... To inherit the national blessing of the Israelite people that God promised Abraham. Paul set out in Galatians chapter 1, identifying himself as an apostle, not sent by men or from a man, but by God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He clearly laid out the power of the resurrection in chapter 1. He followed that with his own experience in Arabia, followed by his confrontation with Peter, and kind of his thesis statement in Galatians 2.20, that he was crucified with Christ, yet still lived. But it wasn't him that was living as much as it was the Spirit of Christ living inside him. And the life he now lived, he lived by faith to the Son of God, who he says loved him and gave his life for him, and the same is true for you today. So, this idea of faith is absolutely central in the message and letter Paul writes to the churches throughout the Galatian region. And we've decided to call this series Freedom because it is truly and certainly the thing that sets us free, that thing being faith. And so those first two chapters are really Paul's introduction to and his assertion of, not simply his apostolic authority, but the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ through faith. And in chapter 3, he starts what we are going to call his theological argument. So Paul is going to use some theological texts from the Old Testament that would have been very familiar to his audience to justify this doctrine of the blessings of Abraham inherited not as a function of nationality but as a function of spirituality through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. I'm gonna read the whole text for today, which we're, we're starting in Galatians chapter three, verse one. I'm going to read the whole thing, and I've broken this down into three parts. So let's get started. Pull out your Bibles, iPads, iPhones, or I've got it on the screen. The Bible says this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified? I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if really it was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith... Are the children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. Quote, All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, in these remaining moments, I ask that you would make your word come alive. Help us to see the historical significance and the current application of the words Paul wrote to these churches early on in Christianity. I ask that you would make our hearts and minds attentive and alert as we hear words of life from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This first section of Galatians 3, I'm calling the foolishness of the Galatians. It's the first few verses. I've got verses 1 through 5 broken down into the foolishness of the Galatians. Paul says this, You foolish Galatians who has bewitched you before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you've heard? Second time he says this, Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing what you've heard? There are three things the Gentile, the Gentile Christians in Galatia are doing that Paul describes to us in this text as being foolish. The first thing he says is, it is foolish that you have seen the power of the Lord Jesus Christ clearly portrayed as crucified working among you and yet you have still decided to become entangled with the yoke of bondage that is propagated by the Judaizers who would tell you that Christ's justification of you by his death on the cross is not sufficient for your liberty But instead that you have to convert to the old law of Moses to fully experience the blessedness of being in the family of God and to have the blessedness of the promise God made to Abraham passed unto you. He says, how can you be so foolish as to have seen this with your own eyes portrayed in front of you and yet have gone back? Have you ever been looking for something that's just right in front of your face? My wife wears glasses, and some of you already know where I'm going with this metaphor. Sometimes she comes to me with the glasses on top of her head, and she asks me, honey, have you seen my glasses? And I, being the kind of person that I am, don't walk away from an open-door opportunity to have some fun with my astonishingly beautiful bride, and I'm like, no, babe, I, I'm not exactly sure where the glasses could be, Teehee. hee. You might check in the playroom, which has got like 10 million things in it and would take hours to find tiny glasses amongst all the kids' stuff. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a funny kind of a, a, an experience for me, but there is absolutely zero humor in Paul's words that are surgically precise in their direction to the Galatian churches. This... Is right under your nose," he would say. "It's staring you in the face." In Louisiana, we say, "If it was a snake, it'd have bit you." You guys are laughing, but you've probably said that in the last week. I'm getting real familiar with the vernacular down here. Paul saying, "I." It is, it is foolishness to me that somebody could confound, bewitch, confuse you into not seeing the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that it is your faith that he has imparted unto you the inheritance that before this time was only geared towards Abraham's biological seed. What else does he say? It's foolish that you're not receiving this the way God's already given it to you. I would like to learn just one thing from you. He says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you've heard? This is a baited question. If they answer the question, the answer takes care of itself. It's obvious That it was not until the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in earth and in believers that God started to work incredible things, signs, and wonders among them. They knew it. And yet so easily they were swayed. And what was it that was swaying the Galatian Christians? Certainly it was this. There was an enormous amount of cultural pressure put on the new Christians in Galatia to conform to what at the time was the culturally accepted religious standard as it related to Jehovah God which at that time would have been Judaism. The application for us today is the same. There is pressure on you, you who are under the sound of my voice and you who are watching on the screen online, and welcome by the way, there is an enormous pressure on you to relinquish the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the one and only way to God the Father, and to add to the gospel by saying there's either more than one way or Jesus is not the only way or that Jesus Christ is God among many gods. I actually think that today, in our current age, we are under the greatest temptation to be in the type of pressure the Galatian Christians found themselves in. To sway from the clear teaching of the gospel and adopt instead a flavor of the month culturally approved view. He says that's foolish. You know how you've received it by the truths of God's word and the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. Not by current contextual accepted teachings of our fallen culture. The the third thing he says is it is foolish that you are not finishing this journey that you started. Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit... Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? This, is almost, this almost carries with it an idea of how could you? How could you? Remember who's talking here. You'd have to go back to Galatians chapter one to recall that Paul identifies himself as being zealous of the traditions of his fathers. And this is gonna lead us where he eventually goes with the example he gives us in Abraham. This was a guy who is self described as being zealous of the traditions of his father. In other words, to his audience, he was saying, I used to be worse than the Judaizers are. The Judaizers were saying, there is a way to inherit Abraham's covenant blessing. You have to convert to Judaism to do it. Paul was a nationalist. He was persecuting the church because the church was teaching that there was a way to God outside of being Abraham's seed. He was putting these people to death, persecuting them and imprisoning them. And right here he's saying... I have experienced the transformation of the Holy Spirit. I have tasted what is good and perfect and from God, the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I will forever, even if I'm stoned, which he had been in this region, his readers would have been familiar with that. Even if I'm persecuted, which he had been in this reason, region, his readers would have been familiar with that. There is nothing that will shake my continuance in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying how could you how could you who have tasted this reality be moved back into some of that old life he picks up the story right there i'm going to read again from galatians i'm going to start here in verse 6 this is the faithlessness of the galatians so abraham believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness Understand, then, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, there's two things that were causing based on what we assume is true from this text the faithlessness of the Galatians the first one is their confusion on the nature of righteousness their confusion on the nature of righteousness it's worth taking a detour right here to mention a guy named Martin Luther some of you're familiar with this guy it's his name uh, that that has generated a whole following of people known as the Lutherans And Martin Luther was a Catholic monk, and he's quoted famously as to having said, if a monk could ever have gotten to heaven because of his monkery, I was that monk. Regularly chastising himself, going without food for days and weeks on end, without adequate shelter, and there was an ascetic self-flagellation practice by monks during his time, which is basically beating and hitting myself and even cutting myself in an attempt to earn righteousness. And when Martin Luther reads the words from Romans 1.17, which are first penned right in this section, that the just and righteous will live by faith, that it is through faith we have been made the seeds of Abraham, his life was transformed. Because he knew at that moment that the righteousness of God was not something he attained to, as much as it was something that God imparted unto him through the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Understand that all those who have faith are the children of Abraham. How are you Abraham's child? Before this, the Jews would say, it's only if you're nationally and biologically linked to Abraham. Paul says now it's not a biological link as much as it's a spiritual link. This was big Huge, enormous news, and this is exactly what the Judaizers would have done anything to try and prevent from getting out in the world. Why? Because their religion afforded them power, prestige, and influence. And to have accepted the truth that all one had to do to be a spiritual heir of the promise God makes to Abraham is to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ completely squashed and put to death their ideals and desires of a hierarchical religion with a person in power over others. They were fighting against that. And Paul says, no, it's not righteousness through works like Martin Luther so desperately worked towards and like the Judaizers were trying to teach the Galatian Christians its righteousness through faith that's the nature of righteousness so then the nation of righteousness is just that it's a spiritual rather than a biological nation which would have been insulting to the Jews who were very national Paul chief among those who would have been national he goes on to say this I'm gonna pick up in verse 10 for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because quote the righteous will live by faith the law is not based on faith on the contrary it says the person who does these things will live by them Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit this is where Paul's theology starts to get deep Okay. He's alluded to this a couple of times, namely that the gospel was given to Abraham in advance. This is actually found in Genesis 15. I'm going to start reading in verse 1, Genesis 15:1. After this, the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be af- afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can, I give, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. Here it is in verse 6, and this is what Paul is referring to. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is to what Paul is referring. He's using the Judaizers' best argument against them. In other words, he's saying, so you say you're of Abraham's seed, huh? And they would have enthusiastically said, that's exactly what we're saying. And he's saying, well, if that's true what you're saying, then let me remind you of the words God spoke to Abram about his trust and faith in God as it related to the promise God made him. And Paul would have quoted, Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And they would have sat open mouthed and wide eyed at the wisdom and reality of Paul's words. Certainly this is what prompts Jesus to teach to the Pharisees that you're like whitewashed tombs. Outside you look clean, but inside you're dead and decaying. I'm reminded of the parable of the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what is it that I have to do to be righteous? And Jesus names a couple of laws in the old covenant. And he says, all of these I've done for my birth. And Jesus says, now take what you've got, sell it, and give it to the poor. And the rich young ruler hangs his head in shame, turns around and walks away. It's the same issue. On the outside, I feel like I'm doing something good and worthwhile that helps me lay my head on my pillow at night and sleep. But friend, I want to tell you out there, it is not about what you do that gets you to heaven. There is somebody under the sound of my voice today that is basing their getting to heaven on their works That people would say, I'm a good old boy, or this guy would give you the shirt off his back, or he wouldn't hurt a fly, and that's great, and that's awesome if that's you. But that's not what's going to get you into heaven. Maybe you're on the other end of the continuum, and you would say, I feel like reverse. I feel like outside is death and decay and addiction and sin and debauchery, and I've got really good news for you. All of those things through the Lord Jesus Christ can be washed white as snow. Amen. Amen. Because, friend, it's not about what you do. It's about what God has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. In this last section of Scripture, the folly of the Galatians apparently is that they are drawn towards living under a curse. Let me give you a little more Old Testament theology here. Paul alludes to a curse, okay, in verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. There are two functions the law serves. One we're familiar with, and that is that the law is designed to show us our sin-sick nature. It's designed such that when we try and adhere to it, we fail and fall short. But it's not that the law in and of itself at that moment curses somebody. It's clear in the Old Testament, God set up a sacrificial system and indeed even established a day of atonement whereby people's sins could be forgiven in accordance with the old law. So why at this moment in time is Paul saying, if you're living under the old law, you're cursed? I'm going to tell you why. Because the moment the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect sinless life and died despite the fact that he was innocent and was buried for three days and rose again, at that moment it is only the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that can make atonement between man and between God. Which means that if I'm trying to live in accordance with the old law, there now is no atoning sacrifice other than my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because it is him upon whom God placed our sin and substituted our curse so that we could be out from under the curse and live dead to sin, dead to the consequences of sin. This is what uh, Paul tells the Galatians. In Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. I'm dead to the old law, the old ways, and the consequences of sin, and now I live. And I understand that it's not I who am still living, but it's the power of Christ in me. And so what do I do now? It's not as though Paul would espouse faith only without works that follow a faith-filled life. He says, now I live by faith. And in the Hebrew, there is no word for faith outside of faithfulness. I live by faithfulness to the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What he's telling the Judaizers is if you are trying to get people to convert to that old law, you're killing them because there is no sacrifice for them outside the Lord Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 27 26 says this cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out then all the people shall say Amen next chapter Deuteronomy 28 15 through 20 the Bible says however if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today all these curses will come upon you and overtake you you'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed the fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks you will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out friend that is our inheritance if we do not align ourselves spiritually with the Lord Jesus Christ but thank God the story doesn't end right there I'm gonna pick up verse 13 in Galatians 3 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, not of biological descent, but of spiritual descent through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit, If you could read the Greek word for redeemed, it's egzorazo. It's a commercial Greek word. Here's where it would have mostly been used, what context it would have mostly been used in. The purchasing of a slave from a marketplace. I'm purchasing this slave person for myself, for my service, for me. When his readers would have read that word, they would have recalled the words Paul just spoke. Wasn't it before your very eyes that Christ was portrayed as crucified? Didn't you see me raise a lame man who was lame from birth through the power of the Spirit? Don't you remember that old miserable life that you would have given anything to have given up and how hopeless you felt at not being able to inherit the national biological promises that the Jews were teaching God made to Abraham? Don't you remember? And now you've been redeemed. You have been bought with a price and a perfect, sinless, spotless lamb was made a curse for you so that you now no longer had to live under a curse. This is the application, friend. The enemy was going to use whatever he could against the Galatians to try and turn them, orient them away from the Lord Jesus Christ. What he was using at this specific time was a cultural, religious behemoth that was very popular and very difficult for new Christians to argue with. What he's using in your life, only you can know. But I promise you this, as hard as the enemy was working to destroy the earliest church plants of Paul's missionary, he is working just as hard to try and destroy and discourage you and to get you to turn from the blessing you have inherited through God by faith and instead turn towards that cursed, sin-sick, godless life you lived before you were baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer is this would challenge you. Paul would say, how could you? How could you ever for one moment entertain any of that old life stuff? And that's the function of this series, in fact. Live free or die trying. I'm going to say a prayer. If, if you have a need, we want to pray with you. If you've never been immersed into Christ, if you... Uh, are struggling with something allow us the opportunity uh, to connect with you and to minister to you after I sing we're gonna sing a verse after I pray I'm not gonna sing or you might leave after I pray some better singers are gonna sing and we're gonna give you guys the opportunity to come forward today let's pray God wow we are awestruck that you would have created a way for us all to live free from the curse of the law and from the misery of sin. And that's the purpose for which you gave us your son, the most precious gift ever given, our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask that hearts here would be open to your influence and that lives would be transformed through this series and that you administer to every need in this room. It's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.